Would you remain standing as we read uh, uh, this morning's scripture, that being Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard from the stewardship, heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it had been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his powers. You may be seated. The mystery of the gospel, that's what we want to think about this morning. And it is not intended to be mysterious or hidden from us. The mystery was something that was to be revealed. And this morning, we want to pray for ourselves as we think about this passage. I ask myself what what Paul was trying to accomplish in writing this. What did he want the people to know? What did he want them to do? And we see that in the passage that goes before where Paul is promoting unity in the body, talking about the one new man in place of the two and how the Gentiles had been excluded in in all ways from the covenant of faith. And uh, after this, after he takes up, after his digression in, in verse 14, He shows that what he wants them to do is to comprehend this and appreciate this so as to worship God well and love one another well. I'd like to lead us again in prayer, ask you to pray for me and for yourselves as we uh, think about uh, what God has to say to us today. Our Father, we thank you so much for loving us, and I pray that you help us this morning from this passage to know more fully how much you love us. I pray, dear God, that you will accomplish through your word what you sent it out to do. And uh, I pray that you would answer the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ who asked that we would be one as uh, you and he are, Lord God. And I I just uh, pray that you would uh, fill us with yourself this morning and enable us to worship you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and this morning, all of our mind. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, we could focus on a great many things, and a lot of uh, churches around the world do focus on a number of things. I, I watch sometimes the church growth guys, and it seems like they have a, a gun, and in the a homiletical gun, and in that cylinder, they have just a a certain number of topics that they hit. And they know that they're felt needs. They know that they're hitting them. And they scratch an itch. And by, by hitting the topics of success and family and, and uh, money and uh, intimacy and all of the things that preachers will talk about, they'll come up with a topic and then go to the Bible to find passages that, that support them. They inadvertently avoid what God has to say to them. And, and sometimes when you get to a passage like this, it, it almost seems strange, like we're hearing something we've never really heard before. And I want us to hear it. We want to keep 
the main thing uh, central, up front and central, and that, of course, is the gospel. But the gospel is more than we have made it out to be. Uh, again, unfortunately, you know, Jesus came to be king. He came to, to uh, bring about a revolution. And N.T. Wright says that when we reduce the gospel as we have to like the four spiritual laws, you know, God has a plan for you and blah, 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 and pray the prayer and really mean it. We have domesticated the revolution. We've reduced it to something much less than it is. And in this passage this morning, you're going to see that the mystery is more than how to pray the prayer and really mean it, more than how to go to heaven when you die. It's how to be a part of God's covenant people and to experience all that God wants you to experience. The gospel, we'll see in this passage, has been entrusted to us indirectly through the Apostle Paul. It was revealed to him, but that revelation was delivered to us through Paul, through the scriptures. And uh, it's a revelation of God's grace, which is greater than we have typically understood. And so it is the focus of our ministry. It is what we're all about. So this morning, I want us to think about this passage uh, where Paul uh, talks to these Gentiles. He's writing this book to Gentiles. He says, for this reason... And the reason is what was presented last week, what Jeff preached about last week, how they had been uh, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. And, uh, and yet uh, God has turned all of that around. And we have been included into the covenants we have been included into the people of God. This isn't, Christianity isn't some new faith, some in, theological innovation. It isn't even God getting frustrated with the old covenant and erasing the board and saying, let's start over with a new idea. Christianity flows out of Judaism. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Christ means Messiah. And, and it's not uh, starting over or replacement. It flows out of it. It's the fulfillment thereof. Jesus fulfills all of those wonderful promises that were pre presented in types and shadows and prophecies of the Old Testament. It's just a, a wonderful thing that we've got to sit and think about, read the scriptures and comprehend. And now Harlan Halbrook is my cousin. He just showed up this morning. So every now and then if I get distracted, it's because my cousin is here and I want to do really well for my cousins. So. <laughs> we're glad to have y'all here this morning. Um, so anyway, uh, this morning I want us to think about that. What's he trying to do in telling them all about how they've been included, how God has given them kind of, a, you know, the, I love the words of uh, N.T. Wright where he says that God has extended to us through the forgiveness of Christ, through the work on the cross, he has extended to us Gentiles who were outsiders, who were aliens, so to speak. He has extended to us uh, amnesty in the kingdom and has given us full inclusion in all of its promises and privileges and even responsibilities. And, and, and yet sometimes in the body of Christ, there can be disunity and there can be sort of inequity and class distinction in the way we treat one another. Um, it, it sometimes can just not be right. And I know that's true. I know I struggle with, uh, you, you know, I like people who are like me. And I like to be around people who like what I like. And we're all that way. And sometimes we cannot have that equity. 
and that sense of belonging and full inclusion in the body of Christ, even as Gentiles among Gentiles. And I want us to think about that today. In the book of Acts, you know, you had that sort of phenomenon going on. You had the complaint that uh, created this unity. It was a discrimination against the Greek-speaking Jewish widows who came in from outside and, and, and uh, in, in, in deference or preference for the Palestinian Jews who spoke Aramaic as their primary language and attended the Hebrew-speaking synagogues. And there was a fracturing of the body because there was sort of a class distinction even there among Jews. And then in the book of 1 Corinthians, we see sort of a socioeconomic class distinction and, and the humiliation of the poor Christians. And there was sort of an unprofitable gathering of the church because people were discriminating against the poor Christians. The rich were and just acting as if they weren't there. And uh, this morning, I want us to think about the mystery of the gospel. That's all about the unity of the body, beginning with Jew and Gentile, but going beyond that to all of the body. Look at verse 2 where Paul says, uh, you know, he says that, well, I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 1 where he, uh, he says that for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. This was a real struggle early on. It was a struggle for 15 years. You know, 15 years after the crucifixion of Christ, they uh, had the Jerusalem Council where they were wondering what they were going to do with the Gentiles, the Gentiles who were coming to faith and coming into the church. What are we going to do with them? This isn't right. They're Gentiles. They come out of idolatry. They're unclean. And, and, and what are we going to do with these people? They were struggling with it for 15 years. And Paul says, I, I'm a prisoner because of that. It was because Paul said that, that to the Jews that God was saving Gentiles and they had equal status with the Jews that was what got him arrested. That was what uh, got him imprisoned. That's why he spent those four years in prison, two in Caesarea and two in Rome, was because that was what he was preaching. That was part and parcel, uh, part and parcel of, the, uh, of the gospel, that there's no longer any class distinction in the church. And that's how it seems that this, uh, for this reason, the first place that he presents it after, uh, and it's repeated after he finishes his uh, digression. It refers to 2, 11 through 22, and especially 19 and 22, where Paul taught these Gentile believers who they were in Christ, that they are in the Messiah, they, who is the quintessential Israelite. They're no longer separated from Christ. They're no longer alienated from the citizenship of true Israel. They're no longer strangers to the covenants of promise. They're no longer without hope and without God in the world. On the contrary, this is true of us today. I think we're all Gentiles here. On the contrary, we now have access to God through the blood of Messiah. We have peace with God and peace with believing Jews because in Messiah, they and uh, we in believing Jews have become one new man in place of the two. Uh, believing Jews and believing Gentiles have been reconciled to God together. We've been reconciled to God together in one body, which is the church, through the cross, the cross that killed that hostility between Jew and Gentile by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. This is why 
when Paul takes up his thinking in verse 14 by repeating the phrase, for this reason, he prays that by the power of the Holy Spirit, these Gentiles will comprehend who they are in Messiah, that they will comprehend God's unsearchable love for them, and that they will be filled with love one for another, Jew and Gentile. And that's what Paul's trying to accomplish. So we want to look really prayerfully at this divine amnesty that Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, by which he facilitated our full inclusion into the inheritance, into the promise, into the citizenship, into the house of God, into in, in order that we might worship God well. And when we get to the Lord's Supper at the end of this, and it all ties up, we want to just meditate and, 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 and uh, worship God in light of all that He has brought us into. See, again, we've cheapened it. We've said, oh, Jesus died for all people. It's available for all people. And take it or leave it. And if you get it, it's just available for all. It's just common and and uh, we don't explain to people that this is something that flows out of Judaism. This is something that is the fullness of time, the Christ filling all in all and bringing all things together in Christ. We don't e explain that so, so that it retains its glory for us. And this morning we want to recover that glory. So Paul says, assuming that you've heard, maybe this was a cyclical letter, maybe there were people outside of Ephesus who would receive this at, wouldn't know, but assuming that you have heard of the stewardship, that word is used uh, in two different ways in the New Testament, oikonomia, like we get our word economy from it, and we say in, in God's economy, we think about in God's plan, the way he is, has planned it out in different uh, stages or dispensations or however, we think in the stewardship, we think of economy here of God's grace, and and certainly, there was a progressive progression of revelation that goes all the way back to Genesis. And the plan of, of what Jesus would do goes all the way back to Genesis. And it's revealed a little by little by little. And, and yet, it's also used in the sense of something that's entrusted to someone else. Uh, a stewardship. And, and Paul uses it both ways. Usually, when he uses it in connection to mystery, he's talking about God's economy. And I kind of think, I know, I know, Zach, this will drive you crazy with my interpretation of words, but I think there's a little bit of a deliberate ambiguity here that in his mind. I know, that, you know, I don't know. But bear with me here. It's okay. It's all right. Um, because Paul said it was given to him. It, it is in connection with mystery, and so in keeping with Paul's pattern, and this being the latter usage of the, the word uh, oikonomia, it is talking about this plan of God, and yet it was a plan of God's grace, and it was something that was given to Paul for other people. So uh, the gospel has been entrusted to us, and we're going to see in a little bit what it is in its fullness. But it's, a, it's a, this message about God's grace. We certainly have to keep that clear, don't we, when we give the gospel, that it's all about God's grace. It's all about what God can do for you that you can't do for yourself. It's all about what God extends to you by way of mercy and forgiveness that you certainly don't deserve. It's what God enables you to do that you certainly couldn't do for yourself. This message of the cross, this message of Christ dying for our sins is all about God saving us when we could in no way save ourselves. And this was entrusted to Paul, and it was part of God's plan. 
And it was opened up. You see, God planned in eternity past how he would administer his saving grace to a fallen world through Jesus Christ in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, according to his sovereign plan, God would unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In the fullness of time, he would send forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And in the right time and in the perfect place, in God's sovereign choosing, Christ revealed himself and his plan to Paul. God would carry, God would have Paul carry his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. It's all part of God's plan. And there, he thereby entrusted this, this message and this duty as a stewardship to Paul who would administer it to the Gentiles. So Paul saw himself as a steward of these vast mysteries of God's grace and he saw the importance of being faithful as a steward. He says, this mystery was made known to me by revelation. When did that happen? I think about the Apostle Paul who was the most knowledgeable, the most learned theologian of Old Testament doctrine, Old Testament scriptures. I mean, he just... He just knew it very well. You know, somebody might say, well, I went to Harvard or I went to Princeton. He said, I sat at the feet of the great Gamaliel. I mean, he knew the Old Testament scriptures. But he didn't know how they would be fulfilled. He didn't know totally how they would be directed. He saw the, the effect and, and, and uh, the grace and power of God just in the ritual itself and in being good, you know, and trying to follow the law. He didn't know. What, how these dots connected until on that day he was persecuting Christians he was he had he was on the road to Damascus he had authority to persecute and kill and, and to, to just torture people uh, because they were Christians and all of a sudden he was arrested by this great light and this great light wasn't just blinding it wasn't just startling I think at that moment there was just this flood of information that came into his soul too fast for him to retain all of it. But I think the dots, just the associations of, of, of type and shadow to the, to, to the fulfillment of it in Christ all just happened, just all at once. And then it took the next 14 years with him in the wilderness for God just to work it out, systematically to work it out and to teach him all of these things about, about Christ being the Messiah and about him being the sacrifice and about us being a kingdom of priests and, and us being the church being the temple and all of these things that would just be fleshed out. And, and so Paul says, this was made known to me by revelation. I think a similar thing happens, not with new revelation as far as scripture, but illumination. I remember as a little boy sitting in a pew uh, in the First Baptist New Boston and there was some clumsy evangelist up there loud and rude and stomping and, but he gave the Roman road and I can, I've told this story a thousand times so for the few of you who've heard it most of you are new, it's brand new this is a brand new story for you <laughs> I had this little Bible they gave me as a child it, it uh, had a zipper on it and the zipper had a little chain and the chain had a little cross and I had played with it so much that the it had fallen apart, the zipper part of it. But I did 
I was able, with somebody's help, to go through the Roman road to see how to be saved. And that guy gave his testimony. And, and I got saved. I mean, I got sa- I, I didn't pray a prayer. I didn't uh, initially go forward and tell anybody. I did within a few moments. But I got saved just sitting there. Because not exactly like the Apostle Paul. I wasn't riding a horse and didn't fall off and didn't have the light blind me and all that stuff. But uh, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shined into my soul. And I believed. I mean, faith awakened in my soul. And whereas I had been dead to God, as a nine-year-old boy, I was alive unto God. And I would later be baptized as a believer. But, but that happens, you know. Uh, the, it was made known to me. But it continues. The revelation continues as I am in the Scriptures and praying about it and listening to God. I continue to see things that are even more glorious that make me want to worship Him more. And what Paul is doing here with these Gentiles is he wants them to know that there is no such thing as a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. And, and, and he wants them to look to the rock from which they were hewn and, and uh, you know, just sort of geologically observe it and see what great things are true about them. And much of that uh, Jeff preached on last week. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. He'd already given them what he did in chapter 2. And uh, anyway, he says, which was... Uh, not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed. It was made known to them in types and shadows and prophecies and symbols and uh, in ritual in many different ways, but not in its fullness, not, not explaining where it actually goes, but it has been revealed now to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This was the way... It worked. Holy men of God were born along by the Spirit. They were taught. They were revealed. And he says, this mystery is that the Gentiles, and here he's going to talk to them about the gospel. The mystery of the gospel, which is more than just the message of the cross. It's the amnesty that Christ's crucifixion facilitated allowing full inclusion of the Jews into the family of God. And he says, this is the mystery that the nations... And, and here he, tells, he says that they're fellow heirs, fellow members of the same body, and fellow partakers of the promise. And that word fellow that is repeated is actually presents itself in a prefix on the word there that he, he does that about nine times in this book. And he's not just saying that together, you Gentiles together, uh, were made fellow heirs, or, or that you as individuals or as a group together with Christ uh, became fellow heirs, even though that certainly is true. But though this, the repetition of that prefix is showing that together with believing Jews, they became fellow heirs. Uh, Together with believing Jews, they became members of the same body. Together with believing Jews, they became fellow partakers of the promise. They got this 
amnesty so that they could become part of this nation so that they would have full inclusion into the people of God without any class distinction. In fact, they're even called sons of Abraham through faith. They're even, they enter into Christ, the true vine, in contradistinction to the Old Testament Israel. They, uh, they, are, uh, they are in the family with no distinction from the Jews. If a Jewish person comes to faith, that person is a part of the church. If a Jewish person doesn't come to faith in their own Messiah, they're outside of the church and they're lost. If a Christian, if a, if a Gentile comes to faith in Christ, they're part of the same church with the Jews. If they don't, they're outside. Now, it is true that Paul refers to the, gen, to the Jews as those who are near because they had the scriptures and they had all of the traditions and they had the truth unlike the Gentiles who were into idolatry. He refers to the Jews as those who are near and the Gentiles as those who are far off. But he said Christ came and preached peace to those who are near and peace to those who are far off. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and peace with one another in union with Christ. So he says here that you're fellow heirs of Christ. You know that word to heir or inherit or inheritance as it's used in the Old Testament is referring almost always to the land. But in the New Testament, it's referring to eternal life, inheriting the kingdom and things like that. To be fellow heirs with believing Jews is to have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It is kept for you. It's preserved for you in heaven. We who believe, whether Jew or Gentile, will inherit eternal life. We will inherit salvation. We will inherit the earth. Indeed, we will inherit the kingdom prepared for us from the foundation of the world. You see, in the new covenant, we inherit the better promises of Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12. We, believing Gentiles, along with believing Jews, are children of God. We are fellow heirs with Christ. And as Abraham's seed, he is the, our our Lord is the heir of the world. (coughs) God appointed him heir of all things. We are heirs of the promise. Having been justified by God's grace, we have become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And in this passage, we believing Gentiles are fellow heirs, not, not just with one another, but with believing Jews as well because we are in Christ and he is the heir of all things we're fellow body members the mystery revealed to Paul and made known to us is that in Christ Jesus we believing Jews are one body with believing uh, we, uh, we believing Gentiles are one body with believing Jews together we constitute the body of Christ the church of the living God There are not two men, but one. There are not two bodies, but one. There are not two loaves, but one. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink 
of the one spirit. There's no distinction. So this idea that in eternity the Jews will inherit the earth and the Gentile believers will be in heaven and never the two shall be together is patently wrong. Now I went to Crystal Bible College and Dallas Theological Seminary and both places are the quintessential mecca of dispensationalism. And they have taught that uh, not forever because it hasn't been taught forever. It came into existence in what, 1830, something like that, uh, uh, by a guy named Darby. Nobody ever dreamed of it before. And what it does, that, that teaching makes two men in place of the one and makes it so that uh, the Gentiles really haven't been fully included. In fact, uh, since the Old Testament presents Israel as the bride of Christ and the New Testament presents the church as the bride of Christ, it makes Jesus uh, into, out, out to be polygamous and uh, having two brides and, uh, and uh, we're Leah, you know, we're uh, we're, we're the, the, the one that he didn't uh, love as much. In fact, dispensationalism says that uh, the church age is a parenthesis in God's dealing with the Jews and in the millennium, God will get back to the Jews, the people that he really loved. That sounds like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young to me. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. I said I wasn't going to get cranky this morning, but you know, it just, this topic makes me that way. It just comes out. We are fellow body members. We are fellow partakers of the promise. Again, if you take these words in the Old Testament, heir, inheritance, or inherit, they always talk about the land, but in the New Testament, you see how, they, how the, the apostles interpreted that, and they, they make it uh, about eternal life in the kingdom and those kinds of things. Same is true with promise. In the Old Testament, it's the promised land. And, and uh, Abraham being given this promise that he would have a people uh, more numerable than the stars, you know, more numerous than the stars. But in the New Testament, promise takes on new meaning, meaning that has to do with the Holy Spirit. And, and uh Paul says he identifies the mystery of which he has been speaking as God giving believing Gentiles full inclusion into the new covenant with believing Jews in union with Christ through the gospel, whereas we once were separated from Christ, alienated from the citizenship of true Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. Without hope and without God in the world, we now have been granted divine amnesty and have been included into the new covenant relationship based on better promises. Better promises. Read Hebrews 8. That's exactly what it says. That the new covenant is based on better promises. And, 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 and the promises are based on Jeremiah 31 where he promises, God promises to put his laws into our minds and write them on our hearts. He promises that he will be our God and we will indeed be his people. We will know Him by experience and He will be merciful toward our iniquities and will remember our sins no more. These are the better promises of the new covenant. And we are in the new covenant. And Hebrews was written to Hebrews. It was written to Jewish people, telling them, come all the way with Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament promised. Paul wanted us to understand 
as Gentiles, that God has extended this profound grace to us, granting us this privilege of being totally incorporated into the covenant people, giving us forgiveness of sins through the crucifixion and thereby giving us full inclusion into the covenant family. That's not a small thing. It's not a common thing. And, and it's kind of like, to me, it's like the doctrine of election that we saw in chapter 1. You know, I think we, we wouldn't start out with, a, um, with someone that didn't know Christ talking to them about election. But we certainly would teach a believer that. Why? Because we want them to worship God well. We want them to know that they, had no, they, have, they cannot give themselves any credit. They can't say, well, I was just more spiritual or I was more sensitive or I was more open to the things of God than other people are and that's why I came. Or I found God or any such nonsense like that. We have to fall on our faces and say, God did this. He did all of this. And, and if, unless we understand as Gentiles that God has incorporated us into something He's been doing for a long, long time. This is a plan that He has been working out. It is God's economy, and He included us in it. Unless we get that, eh, we don't really appreciate it, do we? We need to worship God with all of our hearts. And all of this happened in union with Christ. We are, you know, fellow members of the same body. We're fellow partakers of the, the promise, we are fellow heirs of the kingdom, all in union with Christ. When we believe the Holy Spirit placed us in union with Christ, all that had been true of us before we came to faith in Christ was wiped out. And in that last Adam, we were made alive and raised from the dead. And more than that, we became part of His kingdom, which is the gospel. It's what the gospel is about, Christ being king, us being the territory over which he reigned. But it was also, this happened through the gospel. Someone got it to us. You know, when you go back to that uh, first uh, passage that we looked at, where Paul says about his stewardship, that he says, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. It's a really interesting thought. The stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. We have, again, so domesticated the gospel that we make it between just me and Jesus, you know. And so I pray the prayer and really mean it and go on about my business and the rest of the world can go somewhere in a handbasket. But the gospel, when it came to you, just like it did to me as a nine-year-old, it didn't terminate with me. It was given to me to be passed on other people and, and that you know we got to see that we, we've got to see that you know uh, Jews were discriminating against Gentiles and struggling with whether even to recognize them as being in the Messiah well we do similar things you know we, we swing the pendulum from one end to the other we, we really do this you know before we started our own revolution here <laughs> with with our young pastors, we were worried because we were just reaching all of the people from, reaching people from the assisted living across the street. And so we want to reach people that are 34 or thereabouts, you know, the, 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 our demographic, so to speak. And if we're not careful, we could swing so that we actually inadvertently avoid 
reaching older people. Now, we're not doing that because you look at our new members class and we have a good mix of ages. But we can do that with uh, uh, socioeconomically. We can say, well, they, they would never come here. You know, and we, they, they don't relate. They're, I mean, we, we're kind of heady in our preaching and, and most of our people have uh, really good jobs. So the down and outers, the poor people, they, they wouldn't come here. So, you know, maybe, maybe we reach a certain, a certain sweet spot. That's a form of discrimination if we do that. We have to make sure that we realize that whatever your education, whatever your socioeconomic status, whatever your race, whatever, if you're a child of God, no one has a higher status than you in the covenant family. We've got to think that way. Yesterday, I had some guys working on our house. We did, and last bit of our uh, of our windows. We had s several windows damaged with the hailstorm. And uh, Lance and I, we're doing business, so we had to go get some wings. And there's a big tall guy, and he's you know you tell lifting these big pieces of glass that he's getting plenty of good exercise and you know just genetically this guy's six feet three or something and just big muscles you know and uh, but he's just covered with tattoos so I did what I do best I judged him I, uh, I said I mean he just covered up I said we were driving away I said you know I bet this man has done this guy a favor I bet he's been in a lot of trouble or something like that. Well, last night, they, they worked from 9.30 in the morning till about that time at night, about 9 o'clock at night. And uh, I gave this guy one of our cards, and I just kind of hung around me to talk to him. And I told him, you, you need to come and hear these young men. They're really good preachers. They, they come out of the village church. And he said, the Village Church? The Highlands, Highlands Village Church? And I said, yeah. And he had been going there for Celebrate Recovery. And I thought, that's really good. That's them reaching out to people who are really hurting. And this guy had told me how difficult it was for him to learn and how he just didn't feel smart. And I said, don't worry about that. Look at me. <laughs> I don't feel smart. I feel dumb. I feel like I have to read things ten times when everybody else reads it one. You know, and I just had a great time talking to him. And he said, yeah, he wanted that card. He, of course, he's working today, unfortunately. But I think that somehow all of us can look out and say, well... This one might be a prospect for the gospel. But I don't know about that. I think we, just in our fallenness, can do that. And we need to make sure that we realize there, there is absolute equity in the kingdom of God. And we, understanding this, it should enable us to love one another well and worship God well. And he said, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. 
which was given me by the working of his power. I love this. He didn't say, I aspired to be an apostle. I attained to that level of, of uh, respect and, uh, and accomplishment in, in uh, the church. He said, I was made a minister of the gospel. It was like forced it upon him, foisted upon him. God, God did that. It was uh, according to the gift of God's grace. It's something that God did in a very special way for Paul that he couldn't do for himself. It was given to him by the working of his powers, a work of the Holy Spirit. But I think the apostles were not the only ones who were responsible for telling this big, wonderful message of the gospel. I think all of us, of course, the Great Commission certainly says that, that we are to make disciples. I believe that that's true. So today, you know, again, I love, I love uh, these young men that we've hired. If you're going to call it a little church, for me, it was a mega church. This was a mega church. And uh, so don't tell anybody I pastored a little church. I pastored a great congregation. Come from the balcony. The buses will wait. <laughs> but uh, I'm so thankful that our men are deeply committed to the verse-by-verse verse preaching of the Word. And they care deeply about the context. Not just the context of a passage within a passage or within a book or within a testament or within a genre, but within the whole Bible. They so believe that the Bible is the Word of God that they believe that it's integrated logically, theologically, and so they preach it faithfully. God has entrusted us to us this message. This message that we can take out and explain to people first and foremost that we are all sinners and that Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could have, have access to the Father to live in His presence. But also that when they come into the family of God, they're, they're, you talk about being loved and God giving them uh, a status of, of equality. I mean, that's the way it is supposed to be. And we should be able to say that that's true and it should be true of us. Just a couple of weeks before 9-11, uh, my family was in New York City and uh, you know, New York City, what a crazy place. It just, uh, it just seems overwhelming. It's like sensory overload. But we were going to go to church, and we, we thought about going to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. We were on 42nd Street. And, uh, but we had such a wonderful experience with our taxi driver, we decided not to do that again. So, uh, so there was a church on 42nd Street, or right there, Times, Times Square, the Times Square Church. And it was a church that uh, uh, Wilkerson, the cross and switchblade guy, he, he was the pastor of that church, and he'd long gone. So I walked by there, and I knew it was a, a charismatic church. And I thought, well, you know, I'm a Dallas Seminary guy, and I'm not charismatic. And, you know, they would, they, I would put them to sleep. In, if I came into their presence, I would have that effect on them. And, and they might startle me, like, you know, Cosmo Kramer or something, you know, just, uh, 
I just didn't know what to expect. So I walked by there, and it's in a, a theater, an old theater, and the doors were polished brass. There was a Filipino man, and he was polishing the, bra the brass and cleaning the glass, working diligently. And uh, so I, I came up to him, and I said, excuse me, sir, um, you know, I'm not a charismatic. I just, you know, I'm just I'm a Baptist. And... I, but I don't want to drive all the way to Brooklyn Tabernacle. Do you think that this would be a big turnoff for me if I came here? He just kept polishing. He said, look, come and see. So we came, and, and you, when you walk in, it's just kind of weird. You know, you've got purples and huge uh, ornate uh, trim all around, and and uh, even a place where they sold popcorn and Cokes and stuff. And, but when you come in, there are people walking around with these little funeral signs. And, and they want you to be real quiet when you come in. The guy told me, he said, you come early so you can get a seat. Come early so you can get a seat. So we went all the way down to the front, over to the left. And ushers would come by and say, quiet, people are praying. And I began to see... A mix of people, a mix of races, a mix of nationalities that I had never seen before. And it was like, uh, like getting a taste of heaven, what heaven will be like when, when people from all nations, all tribes, all languages are worshiping God together. And I, I just, I didn't know what to do. You know, I, it's not just that I'm old. I've always been this way. I always get a little bit emotional. And I apologize for it. But um, I sat there and just tried to contain my emotions just watching. They had a curtain because it's a theater, you know. And the curtain either went up or went to the side and you had a group of pastors sitting up there and one of those pastors was that Filipino man boy it was a great day of worship because everyone seemed to have equal status lots of love They were appreciative of being in the kingdom. So, today God has entrusted us the gospel. We are the church of the living God, the pillar and the buttress of the truth. We've got to retain it, protect it, promote it, preach it. He has revealed it to us indirectly. And we now know that we have been fully included into the covenant community and that ought to make us fall on our faces worshiping God. And, and we've given, been given this gospel to serve. As a church and as individual believers, we have a story to tell. 